everyone. Welcome back. We're Autoimmune and You, and I'm your host, Erica. And I'm Rachel. And we were just talking about how I can't believe it's already episode eight. And yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I know. We've we definitely both had a lot of growth when it comes to just recording and editing and thinking about things that we want to talk about that's going to be useful for you guys today. Yeah. So we want to talk about our experiences about primarily when we were first diagnosed in regards to our social life and kind of what that looked like in close relationships in our own lives. Um, and this is going to be a conversation over the next few episodes because there's just so much to cover and so much to talk about here. So thinking back to when I was first diagnosed, uh, I was a rock climber and all my friends were also rock climbers. And so I was telling them like, I got this disease, rheumatoid arthritis, which is literally the worst thing you could get if you're a rock climber. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was kind of sad because I felt like at that moment, no one really responded the way that I thought it would Mm -hmm. you know it's not something little I mean if anything you know you could potentially be on these chemo medications like Mm -hmm. methotrexate so it's a serious disease so the first year of my diagnosis we went to Yosemite so we always go to Yosemite every year with like a huge group of friends I'm talking about like 80 different like 80 climbers every single year we go to this uh it's called Uh, camp four at Yosemite. And it's like iconic for like really good rock climbers, Uh I guess. And so we go, we go to Yosemite and I still have obviously a lot of inflammation in my hands, but I had already started with the natural stuff, but I was Mm. on the paleo diet at the time. And so we packed like really healthy uh, food for us. Like we had like salmon and asparagus (laughs) and, you know, everything that we thought we were doing right at that time. And so I was like proud of myself for like making these changes and still no one understood what I was doing. They just... They're like, oh, she's in Yosemite, so she looks fine. She can move around. Mm-hmm. She must be okay. And even, you know, they couldn't see how swollen my fingers were. And I remember, I think I even showed a few people, and they were like, eh, it doesn't look that swollen. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Because my fingers are, like, naturally, like, super thin, and I know what they look like. But at mm-hmm. the time, if someone had looked at them, they would be like, okay, they look, like, a little puffy. You know, That's say a someone, really like, went point. on a hike. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so just that alone, not having the physical, you know, things that people could see to make them feel like, oh, I I feel I empathize with you or, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel sympathy for what you're experiencing. And so we end up all of us like we go in this group where we try to find this boulder to climb. And my mood was getting down because I couldn't climb. This was like the first time that I went to Yosemite and could not climb. And it's I probably could have, but I didn't want to because my fingers were freaking swollen Mm -hmm. and I didn't know if it was, you know, I was a new diagnosis. So I didn't know if like my fingers were going to break or like, you know, I had no clue. And so I remember we go to this stop at this first boulder and I'm sitting there with uh, my, well, he wasn't my husband at the time, but we had been dating for like three years at that point. And we were sitting there and I started looking at my friends, like hop on this boulder and climb. Mm -hmm. And I was getting so sad. I was Mm -hmm. like, what if I never get to rock climb again? What if the one thing that I found in my life that I enjoyed, like 
unbelievably. Like, what if I could not ever do that again? And so I was sitting there and I, I, I wasn't saying anything. I wasn't talking about my disease, nothing. I basically just got kind of quiet and which for me, like when I'm experiencing something, people usually know, like I'm not really good at hiding my emotions, mm -hmm. but I wasn't doing it in a way to have people go like, oh, like what's wrong with her? Like I genuinely was just feeling really sad that I couldn't hop on this boulder and do this really easy climb. And so one of our friends, one of our guy friends, he ends up getting upset because he thinks I'm bringing negative energy to the group. What? That, yeah. He knew about my diagnosis. He knew I was in love with climbing because we had climbed with him for a couple years before that. And so he said some like rude remark to me and it basically just started this big whole thing where, you know, we, it, it basically was the start of our uh, friendship with him and his girlfriend, who was actually my best friend at the time, wow. started the decline of our friendship because they were not understanding what I was going through and that him saying something like that would have such a big impact mm -hmm. at, for me at the time. Because like I said, the, the thing that I loved most, I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to do it again. Yeah. And it was absolutely terrifying. That's a perfect example of just it's hard when people don't understand what it is you're going through and they can't, right? They don't yeah. know what it feels like to be in our bodies. And I mean, dude, I, you and I both just have so much to talk about on this topic, but yep. that's the hardest part about any diagnosis with any autoimmune disease is for the most part, you can't see the symptoms. And mm -hmm. even when we can see them, such as like finger swelling, my knees swelling. Yep. Now, when I was very first diagnosed, you could absolutely tell that my knees were super, super swollen. Like they were literally, yeah. I'm not joking twice their size. So mm -hmm. that obviously, but to me, like when my fingers are swollen, I know. So for instance, I like wearing rings. Yep. And yep. <laughs> if I can't put a ring on my finger, I know that I'm more flared up that day. Yep. And obviously, you know, that happens with everyone, right? Our fingers, mm -hmm. like our entire body carries more water from time to time. That just kind of happens. But when you yeah. have an autoimmune disease, it's that times 10 and you feel it. And it's hard because you could show people all day yep. long. Look at my fingers. Look at my yeah. fingers. I totally relate to that, but people aren't going to know. So what happens? You start to shut down. You stop yep. talking about yep. it yep. and then you go into your own head. And that's where Eric and I talk about the mindset piece so freaking much because mm -hmm. there, that's all you have at that point. Mm -hmm. Because when you don't feel like you can talk to other people and let's say you don't necessarily have an autoimmune community or like a coach there to help you, you get into your own head. And so that's where that mindset piece is super important, which is, is a whole different topic. But I'm just yeah. like pointing that out that it happens to everyone where you just get like so caught up. And, you know, so during that time, not just that one instance, but there was several other things that happened during that time with friends mm -hmm. that I was completely shocked at like completely shocked. And it, that first couple years was the worst year when it came to like friendships. I feel like we had to reevaluate a lot of friendships. The thing is now in retrospect, I have a lot more empathy and understanding for them. And I know that sounds weird, but now that I've been, you know, living with this for five years and I, you know, have a deeper perspective just on life in general, I understand that when it, what was I 28 and some of my friends were even a couple years younger than that at that time, I'm like, they did not have, they were not equipped mm -hmm. to handle something like this. And I don't think 
they meant it as a personal attack on me at that time. I think, you know, because I've had a lot of them actually say to me in the recent years, like, I'm sorry, I wasn't there for you the way that you needed me to be there for you, but I didn't know how to be there to, for you. I didn't know what the heck I was yeah. supposed to say to you. And it's funny because that person, that friend, I told you that the guy and the girl that I was really close to, our friendship totally broke off. It took many, many years, but it finally oh, broke it off because... It, it was it was layered on to just that, but it, it kind of stemmed from that. But anyways, um, you know, she even recognized that I was not present the way that I should have been present for you, you know, and I, I, I don't even harbor any like bad feelings anymore because I'm like, that's, I can't hold on to that anger. I can't live in resentment. Mm-hmm. I can't, you know, like it is what it is. And uh, it's just not, it's not healthy for me and it's not healthy for that person to drag ourselves through this whole long process. And so, yeah, it kind of really did help me see, you know, who my friends really were and who were the ones that Mm. stuck it through where they could realize like, Hey, like, I'm sorry. I didn't know how to be there for you. And that's just enough for me to say like, I didn't know how to be there for you. I'm like, I respect that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I respect that. Honestly, I have a little bit of a different story when it comes to friendships because I had just moved to California like five, less than five months before I was diagnosed. And while I did have a couple friends there, it was more so like tied into the restaurant industry where like, you know, they're like friends at work and Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just like, didn't really have like a really strong base of friends in California. Mm -hmm. And so I basically had like my boyfriend at the time and that's really all I had. Um, I had, you know, friends from Michigan where I had just moved from, and I honestly can't remember specifically texting them or like calling them and telling them what was going on. I was in really, really close contact with my family the whole time. And my family lived all over the place too. So I didn't have any family in California. I didn't have any friends that were like really close in California. So yeah, I don't really remember if I specifically called or texted any of my close friends. I think that they just kind of found out over like the next few months because I was really just so in my own head, so down, like super depressed and just trying to figure out where the heck to go from there. And at the time I totally forgot about this. Cause just like any other kind of trauma that happens in your life, I've blocked out so yeah. much of like the process of getting diagnosed and what mm-hmm. I went through. And I was looking back through old emails with my family. Cause I was like constantly email updating them. Cause I was sitting in bed doing nothing else besides watching Netflix. Cause I couldn't yeah. walk and I couldn't stand. And looking back through old emails, I forgot this whole chunk where I was diagnosed. The doctor was like, oh, you have some form of inflammatory arthritis, Mm -hmm. but they thought it might go away. Mm -hmm. She really was like, if you're fine in four weeks, great. I'll write you so that you you can go back to work. And she wrote me off from work for only four weeks to start. And down the line, it ended up that I couldn't work for three months. Mm -hmm. And like, it was this whole thing, which we're not getting into today, but it's crazy because stuff like that kind of blocks out of your mind. And so, um, yeah, I was super in my own head. I didn't really have anyone to talk to. I was talking to my family a lot and they were super Mm. supportive and they were like really helping me like be my own best advocate, which I'm so grateful for. Yeah. And uh, yeah, during that first point, when I was first diagnosed, I, I was bedridden for two weeks. I looking back at an email, it said, this was like 
uh, almost like three and a half weeks after I was like first diagnosed with just inflammatory arthritis, mm-hmm. um, there was an email saying, I can now walk up to half a mile with minimal pain and I have to take a long sitting rest afterwards. Yeah. Like it's crazy to look back at that. I don't remember that without looking yeah. back at that email because I've come so far, mm-hmm. but that's where I was at. And I remember my first time going like quote unquote out after mm-hmm. I had been home for weeks and weeks and not working and not doing anything. Cause I couldn't, mm-hmm. um, I remember going to dinner with some friends and just mm-hmm. like the feeling of getting ready again. Also, like, I didn't really want to talk about what I had been going through. Cause I didn't think that anyone would understand. So I just mm-hmm. didn't from that yeah. point. Um, for at least like a year later, I really just didn't talk about what I was going through. And I, mm-hmm. people knew that I had this diagnosis, but I really minimized it because I didn't want to seem like a downer and I didn't want to mm-hmm. seem like I was complaining. And I just yeah. was like, well, I don't know. I'm just going to like do my thing over here. For me, basically all of our friends were rock climbers and that's what we did every single weekend. And that was the majority of how we all hung out because I couldn't climb my husband and I, we kind of became reclusive where we just fell off the face of the mm-hmm. earth kind of for a good while. And especially after that Yosemite trip, we just completely like disconnected from a lot of people. And part of that was because I was not ready to go camping and watch other people climb. It was just yeah. way too sensitive for me. And so I remember that period Well, when we did do that, I expected more people to reach out to us and yes. be like, hey, like, are you okay? We haven't mm-hmm. seen you. Or just to even like, hey, like you want to go camping? Like we don't have to climb mm-hmm. or something like that. You know, those were my expectations at the time because I guess I was like, you know, if I had a friend going through that, I would want to... A, I would want to learn what the heck this disease is mm-hmm. and B, how the heck can I be there for that person? But... I understand now that not everyone has the same thought process Mm -hmm. and not everyone, you know, there was several things in my life that kind of um, mentally equipped me to be that type of person because like I used to, you know, I used to volunteer at uh, an Alzheimer's facility with my mom for like five years. Uh, I've worked at disability places. Uh, my dad had his own trauma that happened to his brain and he had surgery. And so I had all these things in my life that had equipped me to mm-hmm. be the person that would want to be there for someone that was going through something and just my general curiosity in life about health. And so I think that's why I thought like, oh, everyone else must feel the same way. And that's not, it's not entirely true. But yeah, it was kind of really sad in the beginning for myself because I felt really alone. I felt like no one cared for me. I thought, oh my God, do I even have friends? Like, has Mm -hmm. my friend group just been this, you know, illusion of my mind this whole time? Or like, Mm -hmm. and then I started to think like, did people only like me because I climbed? Like, was that, you know? And so it was all this kind of stuff. And so I admit now that I did make myself very unavailable. If I had shut people out, then I wouldn't have to deal with their like rejection. And so I think that also contributed to some of the downfalls of, you know, some of the relationships I had at that time. But here we are five years later and a lot of those people are still my really close friends, like really close. And I feel like our relationship even got 
even better. And I feel like they respect me even more because they really understand what I've had to sacrifice over the years, Mm -hmm. how hard I've worked to get back to rock climbing. No one can see, but I'm like nodding my head. No, no, (laughs) but like they get it now, you know, and that's fine because I mean, they had nothing to really go off of other than just my words of saying, Mm -hmm. oh, I got this disease and they still saw me walking around. Right. And so now they know, okay, Erica didn't climb for like three plus years. And here she is rock climbing now. Fuck. But sorry, excuse me, V4s and, you know, you in the gym. You're sorry? That's so incredible. I'm v- so inspired by you. Every single time I go rock climbing, I'm like, Erica can do it. I can do it. <laughs> but let me tell you, Rachel, and I say this all the time. If you go back to my first, very first Instagram post where I started my Instagram account, I was like, the reason I'm making this account is so I can go rock climbing again. Literally, that was my main goal of my whole freaking journey. Mm-hmm. And from that moment, I declared to myself, I will rock climb again sometime in my life. I don't know when that's going to be, but I will not stop this health journey until I get to that point. That's amazing. I love that. I love that you had such a clear like goal and intention and it's happening. You're such an inspiration to me. No joke. Um, we talk about this all the <laughs> time, you. but that's not news to you. <laughs> so um, you may, you raised a really good point about other people's capacity for mm-hmm. handling things. Just because you have gone through traumatic things or you have gone through certain things in your life where people that you know have certain diseases and have gone through surgeries and stuff like Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that other people have and that's okay it just means that their capacity to handle things like that is very different Mm -hmm. and I fully understand that I fully relate to that because I guess I honestly personally hadn't really been through a lot of that so I didn't even know how to handle what I was going through Mm -hmm. and we we you and I have talked about this I think probably like off recording but about the fact that when you're first diagnosed you don't necessarily realize that this is like a lifelong thing It's kind of like, especially what I was talking about a little bit ago about how when I was first diagnosed, it was kind of like, well, you know, it might go away in like a month. Let's just wait and see sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being this like big thing that I still deal with that I will deal Mm -hmm. with for the rest of my life. Just really quickly to kind of give a context to what you're saying. I think it all has to do with your first initial um, like consultation or whatever Mm -hmm. with your doctor because of the fact you said your doctor said hmm this could possibly go away this is just inflammatory arthritis so Mm -hmm. in your head you had built up like hey there's a possibility down Mm -hmm. the road that it could get better or maybe it's just an infection and I can get rid of this right versus the way my rheumatologist said it was that you have an aggressive form of this disease I had both the positive rheumatoid factor positive anti-CCP family history of rheumatoid arthritis and she's telling me in 10 years you're going to be disabled yeah so I felt the whole world collapse in on me because I was like wait a second I'm 28 years old I'm a rock climber you know I plan to get married I plan to have kids and none of this is probably going to happen now because Mm -hmm. or the way I thought it was going to happen because you know you got to go on this chemo medication so anyways I think it has to, your perspective and how you approach things has a lot to do with the words that your doctor tells you. Mm. And they don't understand that does really make an impact. It makes a huge difference for sure. Even just Mm -hmm. the way that you're explaining right now, like 
I, during that first consultation, she was like, well, like, this is what's happening. They, then they took my blood. Then I went back and she was like, well, you know, we're going to put you on these like mild RA drugs, but like, who knows, maybe it'll go away. And then, you know, a month later, I still couldn't work. I couldn't mm-hmm. do any of the normal things. I was still in physical therapy in a pool because my joints couldn't handle doing mm-hmm. it on land, like even yeah. super gentle exercises. And that's when it started really kicking in was like a month later where I was like, wait a second, this is not going away and yeah. it's not going to, mm-hmm. um, but I digress. So mm-hmm. Um, so did yeah, you get, I, really quickly, did you get the, um, so after she said it's inflammatory arthritis, did you get the official rheumatoid arthritis diagnosis like down the road? So that's a really interesting question. So I haven't been back to that rheumatologist in like, I don't even know now, like two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but she like, I don't know if in the like official, whatever she like officially mm-hmm. changed it because at the beginning she was like, Oh, you don't have the factor, but all your other blood work is consistent with this. And all your symptoms are consistent with this. So like, yeah. I don't know, we're going to keep an eye on it sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then like later down the line, she's like, no, you like, you know, you have everything and this obviously isn't going away. So we're going to keep you on this medication long-term. You can be on it up to like life if you need to and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's actually a really interesting question because that's never anything that crossed my mind of like, is this in my paperwork sort of thing? Well, I mean, it's kind of irrelevant because you have all the symptoms. I think that's what happened with my first rheumatologist, Mm -hmm. that it was just inflammatory because you know why? Because even though I had the the numbers, I was actually experiencing inflammation mostly on my right side of my body and not my left side. And so one of the big criteria for rheumatoid arthritis is having symmetrical inflammation in both joints. And I wasn't having that actually. Uh, It started mostly on my right side, my right hand. I think it was my, even my right knee. Mm -hmm. And I think even my foot too. But I think quickly after that, I think she was like, no, this is rheumatoid arthritis because it was super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it just goes to show that it it really is. It's all how your doctor handles it. And so to be honest, I'm grateful that it didn't seem like this big, like, I mean, it still, don't get me wrong. It did still seem this, like this big thing because of what I was experiencing, but coming from my doctor, it didn't seem as much like a big, Mm -hmm. like you're doomed sort of thing. I knew deep down, like something is definitely not right, but yeah, because it kind of came slowly over like a month or two where she was like, Oh no we're gonna we're treating this as RA yeah um and because yeah my all my swelling in my wrists and my knees when I was first diagnosed were symmetrical all Mm. my blood markers were super crazy high and like I just didn't have that RA factor but yeah so it's really interesting how different your perception is uh depending on what your doctor says and how they diagnose you no matter what it is but anyways I think yeah we're we're digressing just a little bit because I do want to talk about the social aspect of Uh it and so when you first got that diagnosis, how, okay. So you were dating someone at the time. How yeah. was that for you? So weird to think back because it was like kind of a blur. Like I was in this like foggy space because I, everything felt like it had been ripped from me. Okay. So rewind when I first moved to California, my boyfriend at the time and I would hike every single weekend. We would do a different hike every single Sunday. That was like our thing. 
And um, we couldn't, I couldn't do that anymore, obviously. And actually the weekend before my first big flare up, we had just been on this beautiful hike to a waterfall. And that's where I was like, wait a second. Like my, I knew going on this hike that my knees were already kind of swollen, but I had always kind of had issues throughout all of life since I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, like whatever. It's fine. Like they're like a little puffy, but I'll be okay. And then the next day and the day after they got worse and worse and so on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so we were hiking every single weekend. I couldn't do that anymore. I Mm -hmm. had always been like kind of sort of regular with working out, especially since I had moved to California, there was a gym in our building. So like I was going down there at least three, four times a week. Mm -hmm. Couldn't do that. Couldn't even stand for more than two minutes on my own. And I remember Mm -hmm. during my first big flare up, I was at work and I had to leave work early. I was working at a hospital as an occupational therapist at the time. And I couldn't stand up from the chair after I ate lunch because my knees were so swollen. I couldn't feel from my knees down. I couldn't walk down the hallway. I was like, I can't obviously treat patients if this is how I'm feeling. Went to my supervisor, said, you know, something's wrong. I have to go in the middle of the day. And she looked at me through my scrub pants and was like, I can tell that your knees are super swollen through scrub pants, which are super loose and was like, yeah, you have to go like go to urgent care now. Mm -hmm. I remember it took me at least 30 minutes to get from our floor in the hospital down to the lobby across the street to where the parking garage was because I couldn't feel anything. I was walking so slow, like literally probably slower than a 90 year old holding onto walls. Like it was the scariest feeling. And I got in my car and I called him, my boyfriend at the time. And I was like, something's not right. Like my knees never got better. Cause he knew that like my knees were kind of hurting after that hike a couple days before. And I was like, something's not right. Like I have to go to urgent care. And I was like, can you please, please, please meet me there. And he was at work at the time. Thank God he met me there. But Mm -hmm. that first, um, the first urgent care I went to was such a freaking joke. The doctor was like making jokes the whole time. And I'm sitting there Mm -hmm. terrified. Like I can't feel like, sitting there terrified. And he just stuck a needle in each of my knees and drained over like these big fat syringes full of fluid. Yeah. Yeah. Two per knee drained all this fluid out and was like, it's just bursitis. Like you're going to be fine. And if anyone doesn't know, bursitis is basically inflammation of the bursa, like the fluid filled like sack between Mm -hmm. that sounds, I hate that word, but whatever, (laughs) Um, between your, (laughs) and your kneecap. And he was like, you're going to be fine. Like maybe you just overdid it with your hike, blah, blah. So sent me on my way. Two days later, my knees were swollen again and I couldn't work. I had to like call in, which I, I have never been the person to call in. Like I, even though that was a huge Mm -hmm. thing and I couldn't feel my knees, I still didn't want to call in. And I was like, well, I literally cannot walk. Like I cannot go in. Yeah. And so I had to call into work and my boyfriend at the time, he definitely was like trying as, as good as, as well as he could to support, but he also didn't understand. And I didn't understand. And I was scared and I was probably pretty irritable to be honest. Cause I like, mm-hmm. didn't know what the heck was yeah. happening. Yeah. But again, a lot of that just like, is kind of a blur. I know that he was at work again. And I went to the second urgent care because I, like two days later, cause I was like, something is still not right. Mm-hmm. Went to that urgent care alone, got x-rays. And then she was like, you need to go to an orthopedist and a rheumatologist. Like you need to go to special because I don't know Mm -hmm. what to do with you basically Mm -hmm. like it's something major yeah and yeah all of these like follow-up appointments going to these appointments I went to all of them alone 
I wish everything didn't blur this way, but I'm trying to remember the exact timeline. I think it was between when I went to the rheumatologist and got all this blood taken. And when I was waiting for the results that my boyfriend at the time ended up, um, he had a trip planned to go home to Michigan for a week during the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And I was at home alone for a week during like when I couldn't walk I remember like crying so often which I am not a crier and Mm. I I don't know if I ever will be I never have been like I just Mm. don't Mm -hmm. I remember crying so often sitting in my bed I can literally picture myself like this is the part that's vivid is like Mm -hmm. sitting in my bed wrapped in ace bandages because they were trying to like they kept telling me to like keep the compression on to keep the swelling like flowing back up to my heart elevating my legs icing them blah, blah blah and being like Every doctor that I went to was prescribing me Norco. So I had like mm. a crazy amount of Norco, which I like didn't like taking, but I also was like, I don't know what yeah. else to do because everything yeah. hurts and I am just mm-hmm. miserable. And just like, maybe that's why some of it's foggy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I didn't take it very often at all. I took it a few times, but like when I did, I was like, oh, thank God. Like I mm-hmm. can finally like not be focused on my pain. But yeah, I was alone for a week. And like I said, my family was super supportive. My mom and my grandma specifically were calling me like almost every day. How are you? I will fly to you today, right now. Do you need Mm -hmm. me to come? Let me come. And I was like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah. Before he left on this trip, he um, stocked me up with a ton of food that like was super easy that I could like throw in the microwave. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Because I couldn't, like I said, I couldn't stand. So I could literally stand for maybe two minutes waiting for something to microwave and even then I remember a lot of times I had to like sit down and bring one of the like high top stools over so I could sit down while I was waiting for it yeah but now side note I look back he got me things like bless his soul for getting me these things because otherwise I literally would have sat there and not been able to do anything but if I look back neither of us knew this and I, this is like long before I did all this research, it was stuff like Easy Mac and like oh, yeah. inflammatory, totally inflammatory, highly, highly, highly inflammatory with yeah. all these artificial yeah. ingredients and gluten and dairy, like yeah. so much, like that's all I was eating during yeah. this bed rest oh, time. So it's like gosh, looking back at that and the fire. Seeing how that was affecting not only my pain, not only my gut health, brain fog, like all of it. It's crazy to see like how far I've come since then. Yeah. But yeah, I just remember it was a, it was a really, really dark couple of weeks for me. Um, Mm -hmm. My family was seriously, uh, my mom and my dad and my grandparents specifically, just such shining lights and constantly checking in on me. And, and really um, my grandma encouraged me to do a lot of like kind of self-development and, Mm -hmm. you know, just like being there for myself and, and being in my own energy. And I did a lot of that. I was very, when I say I was alone during that first month, like I was very, very much alone. And like I said, I don't really think that I reached out to friends much because I didn't know how. And I will say my, I have to shout out my best friend, Alexis, who has been Mm -hmm. there as my friend since fourth grade Yeah, because she was the one person. I mean, I've always talked to her a whole lot. You know, she knows literally my entire life. She was the one person that definitely knew everything that was going on. Mm -hmm. And still to this day is my biggest freaking cheerleader. Like we were rock climbing, um, two weeks ago at the route climbing gym and I was getting super discouraged and I was mm-hmm. like I can't like my fingers I hadn't been rock climbing in probably four months before that because all the gyms were closed because of COVID and mm-hmm. so they opened back up we went and 
my fingers and my wrists just could not do it after like I think it was yeah. like my third climb and I was getting so discouraged because I was like this is a five nine like I should be able to do this I was doing this before and she was like Rachel first of all you have been flared up for a week and you've to- you've told me that so I know this second of all you mm. are rock climbing and I was like yeah yeah, yeah you're right yeah. like thank you yeah. so she is the one friend that like you were saying friendships that get stronger it she definitely has been that one friend for me that truly while she doesn't necessarily know exactly what I'm going through she's constantly conscious of what I need what I Mm -hmm. um the the type of love that I need the type of support that I need Mm -hmm. Um, we had a conversation this was months ago she said Rachel is there ever a day in your life that you don't feel pain and I was like, to be a hundred percent honest, no, mm-hmm. I feel some degree of discomfort every, mm-hmm. at some point, every single day, mm-hmm. even though I manage things really well, yeah. but do I talk about it every single day? No, because dwelling mm-hmm. on that is not going to yeah. do anything for me. It's just how it is. And I can still do the things that I want to do, which I'm mm-hmm. so grateful for. Yeah. But even just asking questions like that is so dang supportive. And mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times people don't ask those questions because they don't know how to phrase it or they don't want to yeah. hurt your feelings. So even yeah. if they are concerned, they just don't know how to approach it. So sometimes people just don't say anything and something that I want listeners to pay attention to is that doesn't mean the people don't care. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean they don't care. It doesn't mean they don't want to be there for you. It just means that they don't necessarily know how to. And while it can be really easy to shut people out and not want to talk to them and assume that they don't care, Mm -hmm. give them like, maybe they need a little bit of time to kind of go through that process of their own. And then maybe they'll come back to it. Kind of like Erica, you were saying that your friends were like, I just didn't really know what to say. And that's okay. It's not easy by any means, but it's okay. And that doesn't mean that people aren't there to support you or don't care. Yeah. And I have, um, so my best friend, actually, she moved to Colorado maybe like a couple of years before I got diagnosed. And so she was and has been the biggest person in my life that's like super supportive and so like encouraging and like basically my cheerleader like she always is like Erica like oh my god I can't believe what you've done with your health like I can't believe you rock climb like oh my god you have a podcast like Mm -hmm. she's always like the most excited you know the excited that I thought you know the excited feeling that I thought a lot of people would have when I was you know overcoming a lot of things in my life she's always been like in awe of the things that I've been able to do you know Mm -hmm. and so I do have definitely that person but it sucks because she's in Colorado and so we can only do so much for each other. And like, I try to make it out there at least once a year or she tries to come down here. Um, but it's just not the same. And so it does kind of sucks that I don't have my best friend, like so close to me like that. Um, Mm -hmm. although I do have other friends, it's just that relationship that I have with her. I mean, I've known her since eighth grade. So we have that deep bond versus the friend versus like the friends that kind of come up later in your life. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's never going to amount. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different. And so both, I mean, I have really amazing friends. Shout out to them too. (laughs) I'm I'm like, I'm not saying anything bad about them, but I'm just saying she is just like we have that connection and everyone has that one person in their life that's like you know their biggest supporter and like she's the same thing when I go out to Colorado she like makes the most healthiest 
plant-based mm-hmm. stuff and she's like I didn't use oil than this or I didn't use this <laughs> she's like she knows down to uh, you know which oils that I use and she's very conscious of absolutely everything like she is a really good baker so she makes these amazing gluten-free delicious scones Yum. and she gets super creative but anyways, i have your friend <laughs> yeah it, it's just just it's coming from like a total place of love you know what i mean mm-hmm. and that's like a very special thing to have especially when you do have a disease like every person needs that and my heart goes out to anyone that has to do absolutely any of this alone and thank god that i had my boyfriend who is now my husband we've been together for eight years but half of the time that we've been together was through my diagnosis right and so he sacrificed a lot too he stopped climbing he's like babe i'm not going to the rock climbing gym without you i'm not gonna do it and i would literally beg him i would say you need to go like you shouldn't give up on the thing that you Mm. love too and he's like no i'm going to wait for you and he did. Wow. He did not go without me. Maybe wow. Like, I'm talking maybe like two times out of like the first couple years. And that's just going to the gym. He didn't do any outdoor climbing. And he only went like a few times probably because like another friend, you know, mm-hmm. asked him to go. But for the majority of that, he was like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to wait for you. And he waited for me. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. that type of support is like, oh my gosh. Like when I think about that, I'm like, that's amazing. The Mm -hmm. fact that he just was ready to sacrifice also the one thing that he enjoyed in his life. And so he's like, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to go climb and do the one thing that you love. And so maybe my friendships at the time were a little bit shaky, But he was the one solid, consistent thing in my life. Like, Mm -hmm. he would get up every single night, 3 o'clock in the morning, get me a heating pad, then go get me an ice pack, and then maybe he would have to get up and get me an Aleve, or maybe he would would have to prop my legs up, or maybe he would prop my neck up, or sometimes it was so bad, like, my hands hurt so bad that all I wanted to do was be in a hot shower. So sometimes I'd get up at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning, and just sit there in the bathtub, just Mm -hmm. crying, just letting the water, the hot water, like rush down Mm -hmm. my whole body. And I'd just be crying and he would just sit on the toilet next to me while I was in in the shower, just crying because that's all I could do. And I was like, now thinking I can't, it's crazy how you can bring yourself back to that feeling. But it was like, wow, that was really, really terrifying. And, um, All you want during that time is love, support, and empathy from the people in your life. And on that note, we will continue this conversation on the next episode, so stay tuned. Thank you so much for joining us. We want to remind you guys that we are not medical professionals, nor do we give medical advice. So please do not stop taking any medications without consulting your doctor. However, if you'd like to learn more about holistic ways to manage your autoimmune symptoms, we each offer private coaching services and would love to help you. Stay tuned for our next episode. In the meantime, let's connect on Instagram. We are at autoimmune and you, and we would love to hear from you. And if you want to follow each of our personal accounts, we would love that too. You can find our Instagram handles and our websites in the show notes. We'll chat next time. And always remember, you are more powerful than you think. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> I was like frozen. 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 Okay. <laughs> nice.